Section 35 of the Convivio. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Convivio by Dante Alighieri, translated by Philip H. Wicksteed. Appendix 3. The Astronomy of the Convivio. Dante follows the Ptolemaic system of astronomy, a good account of which will be found in Young's General Astronomy. But he only deals with the simplest elements of the system, and avoids all such points as the eccentricities of the planetary orbits, corresponding to the ellipticities of orbits of modern astronomy. The difficulty which students find in understanding the astronomical passages in Dante is due to ignorance of astronomy in general, not to ignorance of the Ptolemaic system, which is extremely simple and easy to connect directly with the observed phenomena of the heavens. Dante's expositions are of admirable lucidity, and any one who has watched the actual doings of the stars, the sun and moon, and the planets, will understand them without difficulty. Those who are only acquainted with representations of the solar system in books or orreries may find some difficulty in adjusting their minds to a system that always keeps in direct touch with the appearance of the heavens, as really seen from the earth, but the following hints may be found useful. The starry heaven presents the appearance of a solid sphere revolving round fixed poles, one of which is visible to us, from east to west. This appearance was taken by the ancients as a fact. Between midnight and midnight, that is, during one diurnal revolution of the sun round the earth, any given star that has been observed will be found to have completed something more than a full revolution, and consequently to be further west than it was twenty-four hours ago. That is to say, the stars revolve faster than the sun, and constantly overtake him in their journey from east to west. In the course of a year, the whole starry heaven has thus overtaken and passed the sun, so that the stars are once more in the same relative positions with respect to him. Moreover, the sun rises due east at the spring equinox, and then till the summer solstice rises further and further north, till he is about twenty-three and a half degrees north of the equator, then a little further south every day, till at the autumn equinox he is on the equator and rises due east again, and by the winter solstice is twenty-three and a half degrees south of the equator, after which he creeps north again. It will be seen, then, that, in the course of a year, the sun both lags behind the stars till they have all passed him, and also moves north and south within a space of twenty-three and a half degrees on each side of the equator. That is to say, he works back through the stars, tracing on the starry heavens a great circle at an angle of twenty-three and a half degrees with the equator, and cutting the equator at two points. To account for this, the ancients supposed that inside the sphere of the stars was another sphere, the axes of which were fixed, not mechanically, as suggested by the figure, in two points of the starry sphere twenty-three and a half degrees distant from the poles, and that the sun was fixed on the equator of the inner sphere. Now, let the reader suppose himself to be standing somewhere on the surface of the earth, in the northern hemisphere, at the center of the two spheres in the figure. If the outer sphere revolved, carrying the inner sphere, otherwise motionless, with it, 
he would see the sun moving round once in every twenty-four sidereal hours clockwise. If, on the other hand, the outer sphere were to cease revolving, and the inner sphere were to revolve counterclockwise once in a year, he would see the sun trace a circle on the starry sphere, moving back from west to east at its most northern point, twenty-three and a half degrees above the starry equator, and at its most southern point, twenty-three and a half degrees below it. If both of these motions are going on at once, both effects will follow. That is to say, the sun will be carried round every day from east to west with the stars, but also will, at the same time, lag behind them, and also creep north or south according to the season of the year. He will, in fact, trace the spiral which has been described above as the course he actually appears to take. The resolution of this spiral into a combination of two circles was the triumph of ancient astronomy, and it still holds its place in modern astronomy, the two circles being now regarded as the motion of the earth round her own axis and her motion round the sun. The motion of the moon is like that of the sun, only that her proper orbit from west to east is completed in a month instead of a year. A closer inner sphere, therefore, was supposed, which sympathetically obeyed the motion of the starry sphere, and had its oblique axis fixed, not mechanically, in it, but was unaffected by the motion of the sun's proper sphere. On its equator the moon was fixed. The motion of the planets, other than the sun and moon which are also regarded as planets by the ancients, is more complicated. On the whole, they travel through the stars, obliquely to the equator, from west to east, like the sun and moon, each having its own period of proper revolution. But they do not travel steadily, and sometimes they actually travel westward through the stars for a time. To explain this, the ancients introduced, in the case of these planets, a third circular motion. The planet, Venus, for instance, was not supposed to be fixed, like the sun, on the equator of its proper sphere, but another smaller sphere, the center of which would lie on the equator of that sphere, was supposed to be thrust into its side, and to revolve round the center, which the greater sphere was itself carrying round the earth from west to east. Here, the reader's modern conception of the solar system may help his imagination. Let him suppose himself to be observing our moon from the sun, in the center of the system. Further, let him suppose the distance of the moon from the earth to be immensely increased, and the motion of the earth so slow down that the movement of the moon round the earth is more rapid than that of the earth round the sun. And lastly, let him suppose the earth to shrink till it becomes a mere ideal point, circling round the sun, while the moon circles round it. You will see that under these conditions the moon would appear to take a looped course through the stars, prevailing from west to east, but occasionally doubling back from east to west. This is exactly analogous to the course of a planet, as seen from the earth, and explained in terms of the Ptolemaic mechanism. The three circles, of the starry sphere, the planet's proper sphere, and the planet's epicycle or inserted sphere, correspond to the three circles of the earth's revolution on her axis, her revolution round the sun, and the planet's revolution round the sun, as conceived by modern astronomy. Again, 
the great triumph of resolving the extremely complex apparent motion of the planets into a combination of three circles was won by the ancients and is still enjoyed by the modern astronomers finally hipparchus observed the phenomenon now known as the precession of the equinoxes and explained by modern astronomy as due to a slow top-like motion of the earth's axis its effect on the appearance of the heavens is to make a slow change in the pole of the daily rotation of the starry heavens our pole star was not always and will not always be so near the pole as it now is this was explained by the ancients by supposing that the starry sphere itself had its poles obliquely fixed not mechanically in a sphere outside itself on which there is no heavenly body just as the poles of the proper spheres of the planets were fixed in the starry sphere it was this outmost sphere to which the daily rotation of the whole heavens from east to west was due the starry sphere had a slow proper motion from west to east one degree in a hundred years dante thought which was communicated like that of the primum mobile or outmost sphere to all the inner spheres the proper motions of the other spheres were strictly proper that is they not only originated in them but were not communicated by them to any of the lower spheres within them the proper motions of the other spheres were strictly proper that is they not only originated in them but were not communicated by them to any of the lower spheres within them end of section thirty five